It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Greetings and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7, E-L-M-N-T-F-M. Now, not only can you listen anywhere across the country, you can also listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So please, if you know someone outside of our listening area that you think might like to tune in and or uh, possibly catch some of our interviews here on Moment of Truth, or uh, also if you have missed one, just to let you know that we do post them up on our SoundCloud and on our website. So you can always catch them at a later date. It takes about a day or two to get them up there. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show. It is a pleasure to have Gary Hepburn, and he is the new dean, and I'll tell you how new in a second, of the Chang School at Ryerson University. Uh, Gary, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's great to be here, David. You uh, started this position as of January 2020. Yes, it's not been long, but it's gone very quickly, the time that I've been here. I I bet it has. Taking over something like that, I'm sure, would would, uh, have you busy and have you running right off the... Right out of the gate. It, it did indeed. <laughs> uh, now, Chang School at Ryerson, continuing education. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about about that continuing education, because I think uh, you, you uh, view this as different from other continuing education uh, elements at other universities. Yeah, absolutely. Ryerson is quite unique in the country. Um, the biggest difference is, and, I, and maybe I'll step back a little bit and say sure. a little bit about continuing education. Mm-hmm. Very often we concentrate on shorter programs. They often have a career focus. So you might see one of our biggest programs, for example, is data analytics. And we do that in a certificate format that, that involves six courses. So it's shorter than a degree program, but very focused on a, on a career-relevant topic. Sometimes the topics aren't necessarily um, focused completely on careers. Sometimes they're community engagement topics, but we do things like that. The big difference with Ryerson is that we tend to do degree credit programming. So most universities do non-credit programming for their continuing ed. We're very connected to the degree credit focus of the entire university, and most of our courses can be counted towards degrees. And why did Ryerson make that choice? Well, I think Ryerson's history has been unique. They came from a um, from a career institute through a polytech mm-hmm. um, at mm-hmm. one time, and they've always had a focus on careers. So I think their DNA is fundamentally different mm-hmm. um, in that respect. But it is also written in the Senate documents for the university that they do look for the the certificates that are developed through continuing ed to find their way into the uh, degree credit space. You know, one thing that that does is it actually provides a way to keep Ryerson curriculum very current Mm. and relevant. So as these go in, they become options not only for our certificate students, but for all Ryerson students very often to take. So most of our courses that we offer are degree credit. Now, when I think of continuing education, uh, I generally think of maybe evening courses or, uh, you know, maybe maybe online courses Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we do a lot of online. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, um, over 40% of our courses are, are offered online. Um, the uptake on our online courses is very high. Mm-hmm. But you're right. We also do courses in the evening. 
Um, you know, sometimes an easier way to explain our courses is the the rest of the campus that operates on degrees we, we sometimes refer to as the day school. Right. So they offer their courses during the day mm-hmm. in the in the fall and winter terms. We offer most everything else. Mm-hmm. So you spring summer we offer a lot of courses, right. but also in the evenings. Now, I think you also mentioned uh, in, in something I saw written uh, is that. I guess students have changed. Lives have changed. Yes. And so uh, you're, you're catering more to that diversity that uh, it's not just uh, adults uh, that might be continuing. It's, it's, uh, it's, like you said, everybody is busy. They're doing all kinds of things these days. So trying to fit something of a continuing education into their uh, daily or, or weekly plan uh, allows them to, to do this. Now, I guess also in the fact that you were mentioning it's you know, online, about 40%, right. um, that allows people, I'm guessing, right across the country to participate. Absolutely. Um, what, we, what we do get with online is flexibility. Mm. And, and what we find, that's been growing in, in double digits um, percentage-wise year over year. And mostly our students have been in the GTA um, mm. that we've been focusing on. And, of course, the, the commute into campus for an adult who's taking um, a, a certificate program, for example, is fairly difficult and time-consuming for most people who, who also often have other commitments in their life, families, mm-hmm. uh, jobs, mm-hmm. and so on. So the flexibility is really appreciated by them, and the numbers, the uptake numbers for online offerings really, really bear that out. I want to want to step back for a sec from the school. I'm I'm glad we got that introduction, and thanks for sharing that that uh, stuff with us. Um, you were originally from the East Coast. I am. Now, is this your first uh, opportunity to come east at a school? What were you doing prior to this? Oh well, I, I I've had quite a journey actually. Okay. So I am from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived on the West Coast oh. for a while as I as I finished. We're up talking my, uh, uh, British Columbia. British Columbia. Okay. I lived in Vancouver and yeah. went to the University of British Columbia, is where I earned my PhD. Okay. And worked for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, family came along, so we returned to the East Coast, and and I was at Acadia University on the East Coast. Now we, we got a, a, a fairly dramatic departure. I, I worked in the West Indies, so I lived oh, wow. in Trinidad mm. and worked with the University of the West Indies. And the focus was really beginning to uh, do a lot of development for a program that, that where they were trying to put their online courses online mm. to uh, serve the 17 countries of the English-speaking Caribbean. Wow. So that was that was quite quite a, a different experience, but but a real learning experience for me. After that, we had to cool it down, so I was in Winnipeg at the University of Manitoba for a while, now Toronto. So <laughs> cool so, it down so, very so, 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 Yeah, it, it certainly did. It went from, went from plus 35 right. to minus 35 very quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow, that sounds great. Uh, what, a, what a great variety of, of uh, opportunities you've had uh, to add to your portfolio and, and uh, bring that experience to Ryerson at this point in time. Uh, like you said, it, it started, you started in January— what have you noticed since uh, taking on this role uh, thus far? Well, you know, a couple of things. Um, we, we did speak earlier about how Ryerson is quite different than mm. many other universities. Mm. And, and, you know, I'll tell you, it's a fantastic place to work in continuing mm-hmm. education. And um, it's, it's very integrated into the core university activities. It's also been fairly exciting to be in Toronto. Toronto is, you know, it's a, it's, as everybody knows and your listeners will know, it's a big city, mm-hmm. lots of energy all the time, but it's mm-hmm. a city with confidence. It's a city that wants to do things. Mm. 
and to offer programming that help people do things and realize their, their career ambitions and learn about other things they're interested in. As I said, it's a very exciting place to be working. What have you noticed that perhaps you weren't aware of or you think that people should be aware of as someone that's just come into the school that you think, oh, this is, this is something I didn't know about the school mm-hmm. and I think people should know, I, or either, either p- potential students or just the general public? Well, and I did speak a little bit about this, but how people at Ryerson often don't realize how different it is than other universities, Mm. I think. And I mean that in a very good way. Um, It's responsiveness to the Mm. city around it. And, Mm. and, you know, you've been to the Ryerson campus. It's uh, it's right in the middle of the, the, the most concentrated part of the city. And I think it's a university that's trying very hard to respond to that constantly. So you do hear things about career focus, but also, you know, also innovation, bold mm-hmm. ideas. And this really is, is reflective of the everyday conversations at Ryerson. So from the continuing education perspective, mm-hmm. just the opportunity to participate in that, to be constantly trying to sort out what, what people need in their education, the way they want it delivered to them, and be responsive to that is really quite different. It's, it's a very different experience than I've had in other places that, that have been more, I would say, developmental in nature. We've been trying to get programming going. But, but here we're, we have a lot of programming already. We, we have a lot of students' enrollments, but we're continually trying to keep up, and that's a good thing. How is the continuing education, uh, this, the school, the Chance School, how is that... Uh, integrated, as you, you pointed out, with the day school in terms of how does it, is there, is there ongoing uh, integration in terms of, do you, do you go uh, and, and meet with other faculty members in the day program? Do you have an ongoing conversation or, or, or that kind of thing that, that helps to make sure that this, you know, functions well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our, our um, courses are, and, and I should add, there, there are two types of courses that we do offer. We, we often help with flexibility. So we were speaking earlier about mm-hmm. courses that go in the evenings yep. and in the spring and summer. Yeah. And, we're, and we're often working with faculties to offer their courses um, in a flexible way to students. But we also have our certificate courses in addition. And, you know, an amazing thing about it, which I found very early on when I arrived, we have a very successful data analytics program um, that, that we work with. In fact, the, the full name is... Data analytics, big data, and predictive analytics. That's the reason we always call it, call it data analytics. Um, it's a program that started out as a non-credit program mm. that was very responsive to the needs of employers and, and employees mm. who, who did want to advance their careers. The Recently, last month, that program turned from a non-credit programming program to a credit program. So it's actually in the space of electives for all Ryerson students. Mm. In this sense, when we work on these, we never work on it alone. We always work in partnership with faculties. So we're constantly collaborating and um, and, and trying to take care of faculty needs, what, mm. what they perceive their needs to be, but also helping them be responsive to students. And that involves day-to-day interactions. Some of my most important um, interactions or with the other deans at the university, mm. the department heads or heads of school. And, um, and, and that's where our programming comes from, and that's how we evaluate its, its relevance and, and, and how it um, serves the students of the university. Now, if someone is listening out there and they go, hey, this sounds pretty good. Uh, I wonder if they offer something that I could take. 
what are the what are the choices that are being offered? Well, uh, I, I honestly couldn't list them all here. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've got quite a few. Yep. We have a lot of what we call our, our um, science, technology, mm. engineering, mathematics okay. programs or mm-hmm. STEM programs. Yep. Um, these are things like data analytics. We, we also do some work that involves GIS, crime analytics. But we also have some you know, really interesting programs that we work on in other areas that might be more community engagement. Mm-hmm. So we do have programs that help students who have trouble accessing higher education to transition to higher ed- education. We call it our Spanning the Gaps programming. Um, the, this um, takes care of the needs who face barriers, perhaps because of academic performance when they were in high school. Mm. Um, it also serves to support special groups like um, veterans who are – returning to school, but also indigenous students who are, who are um, looking at entering into um, higher education. And you mentioned uh, indigenous, and there is a certificate in, in indigenous knowledges and experiences. Yes. Um, do you know how long that has been offered? And, and tell us a little bit about that, if you don't well, mind. Well, it, it is a certificate that basically is there to help explore, analyze, and reflect the experiences of Aboriginal peoples in Canada and um, their relationship with non-Aboriginal people, which, which is a very important topic these days. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. we would all appreciate. The certificate consists of two required courses and four electives. It is offered completely online, but, but we often offer it on campus as well. So there, there's flexibility um, in choices. But very important, you know, I think it provides um, Indigenous students who are involved with it a, a, an opportunity to share their experiences but importantly for both non-Indigenous and Indigenous people who are going to work between Indigenous communities and non-Indigenous communities, it provides that background and sensitivity to be able to do so effectively. So, so it's, it's a very exciting program, and anyone interested, I really encourage them to, to simply go to our website, and mm. they'll find it quite easily there. Yeah, uh, there is a, a, a link there for uh, anyone that's interested in finding out more about that. I was going to ask you about you know who... who uh, who should perhaps be, you know, participate in, in this. But before we get there, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and my guest is Gary Hepburn. He is the new dean of the Chang School at Ryerson University. started in January, folks, so uh, wish him well, and uh, it's great to have him here to uh, share some knowledge about uh, the Chang uh, School and its uh, continuing education uh, programs. Uh, as you just mentioned, we were just talking about the uh, the indigenous knowledges and experience uh, area that you uh, mentioned that's available as well. Now, the other thing I noticed as I was looking through there is that uh, one of the the partners in that program is what you guys call the the Aboriginal Education uh, uh, Council. Uh, I I actually sat on at, at uh, Sheridan College, the Indigenous oh. Education Council. So yes. same thing, sort of thing. Um, that uh, has some input into you know, helping, I guess, uh, facilitate that that uh, ongoing connection with Indigenous uh, and making sure that it's being represented, making sure that, that uh, the people that are teaching uh, have, of uh, course, hopefully would be Indigenous in many cases. I'm sure that's probably something that your school is doing as well. Yes. Um, do you find that, and I know it's early in your taking over this, uh, what do you know about that in terms of are people taking uh, a, a taking a notice of this course? I guess what I'm saying is, especially now with with things that have been going on, um, uh, do you find that there is uh, there is a, an interest to want to learn more about uh, indigenous history, indigenous uh, culture, those kind of things? 
I, I do. And, and, you know, I should add, I, I previously, as I mentioned, what was in Manitoba, where, mm. where there, there is a great interest um, yep. in indigenous um, mm. programming. Yep. I do find it's it's very important here. In fact, Ryerson just released its academic plan for the next five years. And this is one of the pillars of the academic um, programming for the university, not just for the Chang School. Mm. So this program that we've been discussing certainly leads into that. But um, the Chang School, like all areas of Ryerson, are looking for ways that we can we can provide a sensitive but but also appropriate and meaningful response um, for Indigenous peoples. But also, you know, much of this is about advancing the understanding of non-Indigenous people as well. So we're all taking a look at how we might be able to do better at that. And, you know, in, in the Chang School, one thing that we're exploring um, that, that I began working on immediately is to get more representation from Indigenous mm. peoples in our decision-making processes. So um, I'm putting together an advisory committee that, that will help me do that and, um, and, and make some good decisions about, about ways that we might be able to go forward in a mm. good way. And um, I'm really looking forward to that interaction and thinking about, you know, not only our existing programs, but the way we might incorporate sort of indigenous knowledge and, and, and kind of ways of being into many of our programs. Mm. So, you know, some of the challenges um, become something like, you know, I mentioned one, our very popular data analytics program. Mm-hmm. So how do we do this? How do, how do we take into account the, the needs and views of indigenous people in a, in a program like that? Um, we also have programs in um, applied advanced geography and GIS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in talking with um, some indigenous communities um, at, at a, my, in my previous role, I know the indigenous communities were very concerned with land use and be, course, yeah. and be able to map land resources in yeah. a meaningful way. So GIS becomes relevant yeah. to, uh, to how they might do that and, right. and a tool to be used. The question is to make sure that we do leave room for those sorts of applications, mm. among the many other applications of that technology right. that we might consider. Yeah, and and of, <clears throat> of course that uh, that kind of uh, GIS information or that kind of course allows for both uh, learning from both the indigenous and non-indigenous. Absolutely, yes. You know, uh, now data, the data, what was the course? Data analytics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Goes over my head, you know, <laughs> data analytics. Now, of course, it sounds like you're, you're uh, capturing data and information that, that you know, could have relevance in many ways. Uh, I do know that uh, for many indigenous people, capturing data is an issue uh, just because of history and how it has been used against them. Yes. So that's a you know that's something that I'm sure you guys have maybe talked about or you know, maybe your your uh, your advisors have have you know mentioned or things like that. But it's 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 important. It is important. Yes. Um, generally, do you know what the what's the population of Ryerson at this point? The day the day school population. Um, I I believe it's a little over forty thousand students. Wow. So so it's it's quite a quite a large group. Yeah. Yeah. And does that include the continuing education, or is that a, what's the, do the you know what the that is? The continuing education, and there's overlap between yep. the continuing sure. education group because we have day students who are, who are taking our course. Mm-hmm. But the continuing education, it's hard to to clearly um, separate the numbers. Mm-hmm. But it is a big program. We have about seventy thousand enrollments a year in wow. our continuing education courses. So it's it's big. It's a big, large, and influential area of the programming for the university. 
Now, as you mentioned, I, I know, I mean, Ryerson has a, has a great reputation, of course. It always has. Um, so I'm wondering, do you, do you have any numbers or do you know, you, you mentioned most students are in the GTA that are going to the day part. For the continuing education and the online portion, do you know uh, how many people outside of the province or across the country are, are participating and taking advantage of that? Well, it, it is mainly we've been very focused on the GTA, mm. and and we we've done well in the GTA, mm. but we yep. are beginning now to mm. to look at how we expand our programs across across Canada, and um, and we're looking internationally as well. Mm. So we're basically looking to find partners who can help us do that um, as we do move out. We have excellent programming, and, and we think those sorts of collaborations will really begin to um, to spread things. Clearly, online is the way we, we hope to do that for the most part. Um, 31% of our courses are offered online. It accounts for about 41% of the total enrollments of the school. So it's, it's become, over the last um, 10 or 15 years, mm. highly influential. You know, we even find that if we look at Ryerson students, and that aren't just Chang students, about one quarter of them are taking at least one online course. So mm. about one quarter of them are involved in online education. With students who are specifically working with the Chang School, that goes up to over 50%. What is an online course? What does it look like when you take? Because you know, I've seen uh, many students, and I've heard stories about students even at university that live on campus and are they stay in the room and, and take the course online because there's the, the video camera is set up and they're watching their professor. Yeah, uh, is that uh, typical of what we see nowadays? Um, well, there there are there are technology enhanced classrooms where mm -hmm. very often they will stream a lecture, for mm -hmm. example. So that technology is certainly available. Online courses that are that are fully online tend to have a different approach to mm -hmm. them. They're developed by by content experts, of course, but they work with an instructional design team that helps structure the course to to vary the experience. Because a, a very, very long lecture um, oh, yeah. may not sure. be the most exciting thing to watch <laughs> right. for a couple of hours yes. online. <laughs> so we tend to, do, to, um, to, to advance practices like mm. um, shortening up the, the, uh, the pieces of lecture or mm. video that we might use mm. in them, but also varying the activity. So there's a great deal of student interaction that can be incorporated. Um, our Digital Education Strategies Unit is, um, I, I think, probably among the best in the country. They're very into um, what they call serious games as well. Mm. So in a game scenario, mm. they, they have students go through and make choices. And, and, and those choices may be the best choice or, or maybe not so much in certain cases. If it's not a good choice, they're often, they often see what happened, but they're directed back so to, uh, to make the choice again. So they do get to work through various scenarios. And it really begins to emphasize a sort of experiential education, which is a hallmark mm. of, of um, Ryerson education in general. But we, we have found ways to bring that into the online experience. So for someone who's taken an online course 10 years ago, they should try it again. It's, right. it's quite different, and we've come a long way with it. I, I would say also, given the nature of the way things are rolling out these days uh, with COVID-19, yes. et cetera, there <laughs> yes. may be more of uh, an online opportunity for, for schools and, and people to take advantage of those things or looking to take advantage of those things just until we get by this, this crazy sort of moment mm -hmm. we're in in dealing with the COVID-19. Absolutely. And, it, and it's one of the things, like most every university, um, Ryerson is deeply involved in, in 
um, planning a response to to various scenarios that mm-hmm. might emerge um, as a result of COVID. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, what we have seen in the last few days is many universities um, around the world, but in the United States, are actually closing their, their face-to-face mm-hmm. operations mm-hmm. on their campus. So, you know, th- this isn't the circumstances under yeah. which we would want online learning to have a moment, right. but we are having a moment, and, yes. but, but we're under a great deal of pressure yeah. um, to, to respond very quickly. So it's not just using our online courses effectively. It's thinking about how do we take um, the, the thousand sections that, of, of courses that we do offer mm-hmm. in the spring and summer and deal with the university closure. How do we virtualize those courses to a greater extent and still make them possible? So I wish I could tell you exactly what we're doing, but but certainly there are other people who are the official spokesman for Ryerson on this. <laughs> but um, certainly our online technology and our mm. online courses will be a, a major part of that response. Right. And, 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 you know, you're not alone there. Of course, we are all dealing with this. Uh, we're all finding ourselves in the moment, as you said, uh, dealing with this. It's a, it's a big surprise to all of us. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll find, we'll find innovative ways to uh, not only uh, come through this, uh, but also to, to hopefully just uh, curtail the, the expansion and find a cure and, and uh, we'll move on and, and move, you know, uh, safely and, and healthily. Um, so we're... we're almost at the end of our time. Uh, Gary, I'm just wondering, is there something we haven't talked about that you feel is important that you would like to mention about the school? Well, I, I think a lot of our programs, and we did discuss programs mm-hmm. like data analytics, mm-hmm. but, but, I, but I would also include the Certificate in Abor- Aboriginal Knowledge and mm-hmm. Experiences. Mm-hmm. We're very concerned with being responsive, as I mentioned earlier, and, and we're working at a time where you hear a lot about future skills and the future of mm-hmm. work. So that really is something that I think puts, um, you know, many of our our students, and when I say our students, I'm talking about lifelong learners. This is not just our 18 to 23-year-olds that are on campus. In Mm. fact, the boundaries between those activities are beginning to break down. Right. So we're really looking for ways that we can future-proof our students and give them opportunities to be ready for the demands of the future. You know, as, as everybody would have heard, there are predictions that many jobs are going to disappear mm-hmm. that exist and new jobs will will um, be emphasized. And that's, I think, where we're making a particular contribution and, and I think can help students, regardless of their age and where they are in their careers, mm. I think we do offer something to everybody. So we're, we're, we're quite excited for those of us who love continuing education. These are exciting days. Um, there's, there's one, uh, term here that I'm just wondering if you can help explain zone learning. What, what is zone learning? Uh, well, zone learning is a very unique Ryerson feature Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, quite exciting. Ryerson is very interested in how we advance ideas that people have, how, how we can be an incubator for ideas and we, how, how, um, how we can innovate, but help other people innovate. Mm -hmm. So many of our zone learning areas that we do operate do provide opportunities for for students from Ryerson with ideas to advance and develop those ideas. Um, You know, we'd like to think that many startup companies come out of this and so on, Mm. but it doesn't stop at students. Um, We also engage the community uh, around this area. So those with an idea, education is part of the picture, but they also need mentorship, simply a place to work very often. And zone learning does provide that. It provides those opportunities for the good ideas to grow. Mm. And, and um, 
you know, I, I think is a is a unique and intriguing um, part of Ryerson's landscape, the way they're approaching education. So it's not it doesn't all happen in a classroom. It, it, it happens in other venues as well. Mm. Uh, and just before we close, you mentioned ideas quite a bit there. And, you, and I think you mentioned that as the further you go into education, higher education, uh, you're exposed to more ideas, of course, and and uh, and, and developing those ideas. I always remember the quote that uh, you go, you go to, to, to uh, university to learn how to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you say th- that thinking is different than ex- than at developing uh, 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 or those ideas you're talking about? Well, I I think the thinking does help with the ideas, mm. but but I think we're also realizing that that we we need to prepare students and and again that broad mm-hmm. range of students that I referred to earlier. To not only think about their ideas, but but to be able to make those ideas into reality. So there's a lot more to that to to execute on ideas, right. and and Ryerson's working hard to help students with that. Bringing it into the real world, making it uh, making it something that is tangible and and workable. Precisely, Gary. It's been a pleasure having you here today. We thank you for coming in, and uh, we appreciate that your time to. Uh, to come in and, and talk about the Chang School at Ryerson University. And, of course, we wish you all the best uh, as you, you move on uh, through here. Great. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's been my pleasure. It's been our pleasure as well. That is Gary Hepburn. He is the new dean of the Chang School at Ryerson University. Now, don't go away because we'll be right back with more right here on Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, And as we uh, keep reminding you, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM, you can listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right across the country. It is my great pleasure to have our next guest on the show. She's calling in from Saskatchewan. We're here to talk about uh, her latest novel. It is called Bone Black. It's uh, Carol Rose Golden Eagle. She's on the line, but as I just found out, I know her from another life, another name. And so it's a great pleasure to have Carol on the line with us. Welcome. David, it's so great to hear you. <laughs> Likewise, it's, it's so great. So uh, as I just found out, we have a connection back to APTN. Yeah, a long time ago, we were mm. we were there the very beginning of uh, the start of that station, very fond memories. Mm-hmm. I hope for both of us, certainly for me. Yeah, well, likewise, likewise. So I'm just really happy to be speaking with you again. I wish <laughs> I was sitting with you over a coffee instead of on the telephone. <laughs> well, we can do that next time you're in town or if I'm visiting out in Saskatchewan, we'll make sure and do that. That sounds great. Uh, in the meantime, though, let's get uh, back to the book and also to tell people a little bit more about uh, Carol, Carol Rose Golden Eagle. She is, uh, as I mentioned, an author who also happens to be Cree and Dene with roots in Sandy Bay, Saskatchewan. And she is an acclaimed journalist and writer. And in 2009, she won the National Aboriginal Achievement Award for Literary and Journalistic Achievements. Her poetry and short fiction have been included in several anthologies, and she has published two previous books, Bearskin Diary, which won the 2017 Aboriginal Literature Award, the 2017 First Nations uh, Communities Read Award, and was shortlisted for the 2016 Saskatchewan Book Awards in the Fiction Book Award category. And um, we're here, as I mentioned, to talk about Bone Black. So 
uh, Carol, first of all, congratulations on all your, your previous awards and and your uh, outstanding ability to uh, write both poetry and, uh, and novels and books. Oh, I, just, I, I love writing everything, and I'm really happy about Bone Black, actually. It'll be about a month from now that we find out whether it wins two Saskatchewan Book Awards because it was shortlisted, so I'm happy about that. That's right. You have been uh, chosen as a finalist for two awards, as you mentioned, the Rasmussen and yeah. Company Indigenous Peoples Writing Book Award and the Muslims for Peace and Justice Fiction Book Award. So congratulations once again. Thanks. I'm really happy about that. There are so many great writers like right across Canada. Mm. A lot of them are right here in Saskatchewan. So I'm happy to be in that pool of writers and, and colleagues. Now, uh, Carol, as we mentioned off the top, we, we uh, I know you as a journalist from APTN Days, as you mentioned, and um, I did not know, I don't think at the time, that you uh, were either a poet or, or an author uh, and, and were interested in this line of work. Oh, I was. <clears throat> I've always been a writer. <laughs> okay. I, I started writing stories, just, well, not writing them, telling them. I, I, I remember back to being four years old and, and sitting down and, and telling stories, you know, to to anybody who would listen, and uh, right throughout school, you know, elementary, high school, and into post secondary. Uh, yeah, I I wrote a lot of poetry because it's it it's faster, <laughs> mm. you know, it comes at the moment, and I would just sit down and write. And I really wish I've moved so many times in my life. I really wish I'd saved all of those old pieces, but I don't, I don't know where they are. That was way before computers. Mm. So it was just on a piece of paper somewhere mm. in the mm. universe now. But yeah. And actually Winnipeg, where I met you when we uh, worked at APTN and you were in Ottawa at the mm-hmm. time, I, um, I really sort of renewed my love for writing because there's the Aboriginal Writers Collective in Winnipeg. And uh, that's where Rosanna Deerchild and Ken Williams and myself, right. we would go every week, basically, and meet and talk about writing. And um, anyway, so, so that sparked the interest. And then when I moved to northern Canada, I, I know you've been there, but I don't know if you've lived there. It, it, the winters are hard. <laughs> mm. And so it gets dark at, uh, I don't know, two, <laughs> 2 in the afternoon or right. something. Right, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and my children were, were small at that time, mm. and I was a single parent. So every night, obviously I'm at home because I would read to them every night, which I I think is one of the best things I ever did as a parent. And they read today, and mm. I'm so happy about that because mm-hmm. they're adults. But anyway, yeah, I would have all this time because they'd go to bed at 8 o'clock, and then I'd have all of that darkness of the night. And I'm not really a television watcher, mm-hmm. so I started writing. And then I got the idea for Bearskin Diary, and, and that one took a while to come out because I was working full-time at CBC North, mm-hmm. and I had three children to raise. Wow. So it came out when I had time to let it come out. <laughs> right. And there you go. So I've been writing all my life. I just didn't talk about it unless other people sort of mentioned to me that they they had this love for the written word as well. Now, Carol, you just said something there about the North. Uh, you mentioned the darkness of the night. And 
I have to say that after reading your novel, <laughs> Bone Black, um, there is some darkness in that novel. There's a lot of darkness in that novel. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, it's a very powerful novel. Um, the characters are, are very strong. Uh, you have developed it around two twin sisters. And you've also developed what I think is is you know, if I can choose the word clever because of what you did, but also because it's educational and it it pulls us into something that we have all known about for so long. And we are familiar with the story of missing and murdered Indigenous women across this country. Yeah, exactly. The, the thing that really breaks my heart, and it still happens today, is I'll log into Facebook you know, in Mm. the morning when I turn my computer on and every single day there's some sort of notice that someone is missing or someone has been killed um, somewhere in Canada. And, and it just, it's overwhelming because it's only recently that we've started talking about this, Mm -hmm. but really the, the crisis of, of missing and murdered indigenous women has been going on for way too long and no one has said anything. Mm. So I just, I think I, I just said, all right, I'm tired of this and I need in my own imaginary way to fix it somehow. And so I created the character of Ren because I wanted some positive action, if you can call it that. Mm. I was tired of in real life watching nothing happening with uh, police investigations mm or within the justice system or other other organizations that that you know could put together some something that that would help and um the the inquiry you know already mm. identified all of that sure. so i thought all right i'm going to develop a character who takes matters into her own hands and funnily enough i had taken a pottery class Okay, that yeah, that's long. where that comes in. I was going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had taken a pottery class and learned, you know, all sorts of things that can be done with pottery. Yeah. And then also the fact that to finish pottery, you have to fire it. Mm-hmm. So I started talking to, uh, you know, someone who's who's teaching and, and people who have been working in pottery for years, asking about the kiln, asking about... Uh, the temperatures asking about, you know, is it enough to, to burn and get rid of bones? Mm. And then I started doing some research and bone black is actually a term, yeah. it's a pottery term, kind of like raku. It's the name of a, a finish that mm-hmm. you would put on a piece of pottery. And the finish has ele- or powders from, from bone, ash from bone, mm. uh, from cows. Mm. But uh, obviously, with Ren, it's bone from people. Her victims. She yeah. 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 Well, I can't call them victims. <laughs> no. I can't call those guys victims. I hear you. They, okay. Yes, I correct. I correct. I guess I said her victims, meaning that they were just the people that she targeted and and uh, went after to to uh, as you as you point out to. Uh, to, to get some payback, I guess, uh, for what has been happening um, with... Well, that's right. I mean, the only people that she murders and gets rid of are, are horrible, horrible mm-hmm. men who cause 
harm, mm-hmm. like terrible harm to Indigenous women. Yep. Everyone else is safe. No one has to worry about Ren, Strong Eagle, right. unless you have brutalized an Indigenous woman or harmed her and her family, and then, then you have to worry. So it was a different sort of way of writing. And I, I wanted to see if I could do it because mm. I've never written anything like this, and uh, it just came out. Well, I can tell you, first of all, the first thing that really got me uh, as I was reading through this book, and I wanted to mention this to you, is that I would probably never watch the Ten Commandments again the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Because you mentioned the Ten Commandments in here, um, and I can't remember the the context anymore, but I just thought, well, that's that's affected my thinking about how to watch this. But, (laughs) um, you know, you go on, as you say... I mean, this this uh, Ren in in her uh, in taking on this role uh, of payback and and trying to reap some justice on uh, for the the missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, it does, you know, they're they're the, the situations you have heard uh, described and put into uh, really sent chills up my back, um, you know, uh, but. At the same time, I understand exactly why and and how and and the and the reasoning for her for her um, her feelings and why she wanted to do this. Yeah, you mentioned the Ten Commandments. That was the other thing. It's I I, I was thinking, you know, if I ever do anything bad, um, let's say I lie to you mm. because sometimes. It's okay to lie because it saves a person. I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but I'm sure your listeners understand. It's like, do I look good in this dress? <laughs> you want to say, no, it's terrible. But you say, yeah, it's lovely, right? <laughs> Which is a lie. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but it's okay because mm. there's no point in, in harming someone's feelings if they're happy about something they've done. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to disrupt that. Mm. Uh, but in terms of... of sins from the Bible, you know, Ren Mm. had, she has a conscience, Mm. a consciousness that says, this is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. What Mm. I'm thinking is wrong. And Mm. I know it. And then she says to herself, but even God takes people out right? because, you know, they have caused harm. And Mm. then I brought up story of Moses and uh, the the Red Sea parting. And then just by chance, I stumbled across a a story from here in Saskatchewan about it's a story that's been handed down uh, verbally. And then, you know, somebody wrote it down finally about these outcasts from different communities before contact. Uh, There were, if you caused any type of harm in those First Nations communities, way back, you would be banished. And Mm. we all Mm -hmm. have heard stories about that. So these banished young men got together and and formed their own sort of place, their own community. And they would roam around the Saskatchewan landscape and they would cause all sorts of disruption with people. And the story goes that God got rid of them as well with lightning. And Mm. and, uh, that's the story that's told here. So... Yeah, she she decides I'm going to do this, and then she justifies it by saying this is this is what's supposed to happen. So this is what I'm going to do. Mm. 
And I, I kind of, I liked her. I liked creating her because she was very complex. I mean, she, she got brutal and violent towards the end of her killing, which surprised me as a writer. I, mm. I didn't expect her to, to escalate in yeah. terms of violence, but she did. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, of her heart, it was always the same. She, she was doing this for a purpose that was greater than her. She was doing this to avenge the wrongs that had been caused to other people. And uh, she always had a ceremony after, mm. after she killed someone. Mm-hmm. And, and you may say, well, why did she do that? Well, she did that because those terrible men were once little boys. And those little boys and the spirit of the little boy is always alive. But somehow those men grew up to be rotten. And But the little boy is in there suffering. So she would say prayers for the little boy mm-hmm. that that he would be met on the other side in the spirit world and and find his way back to goodness. So it was it was an interesting interesting journey for me as a writer. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host David Moses. My guest on the line from Saskatchewan is Carol Rose Golden Eagle. She's the author of Bone Black and that is the novel we're talking about right now. Uh, Carol, uh, you know, we're talking, as I mentioned, uh, the theme is around missing and murdered Indigenous women and uh, the, the two twin sisters that you focus this on. Uh, and I can tell you that recently we we had a... Uh, uh, I, I read another book um, that was not... Uh, it was it was non-fiction. As I'm sure you may know of it. It's called Highway of Tears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had to read that book. And... You know, in picking up your your novel and reading it, it of course read just like anything right out of um, setting that story up. It was just like any anything you could read uh, on uh, a missing and murdered indigenous women, and uh, just carrying that forward story because now you're developing, you're taking us inside the family, you're taking us inside the the two sisters, you're taking us and and making these people uh, real. I mean, this this woman who does go missing, and we never find her, uh, uh, Raven is, is, is a lawyer. I mean, you know, these are full-grown, these are full-grown, they're, they're adult women. Um, they're not, uh, you know, not teenagers. They're not, uh, you know, um, uh, people that um, are down and out. These are well-established women. Yeah, they are, they are um, beautiful, adult, accomplished women, who happened to be indigenous. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you talked about that, the other title, um, as I mentioned, a lot of the, a lot of sort of the background, just the imagery and ideas came from all of that painful testimony that came out of the, mm-hmm. the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls inquiry mm-hmm. and the devastation that those families felt. And I, I wanted to, in a way, say to them, you know what? All of our hearts are with you. Mm. All of our hearts are with you and our prayers as well. And um, so <clears throat> as a fiction writer, I am going to create a character who takes care of business. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, the other thing that that I feel this this allowed us to sort of see was the opposite side, perhaps, of what might have happened with some of these women. 
the way you have uh, Ren going after uh, these these men and allowing her to uh, do this in a way that there's no trace, much like there is no trace for the missing and murdered indigenous women. And I, and I thought that was, gee, if we think about this, is, is this possible that, you know, this is, this is what might be happening to this, these women? Well, I mean, you think about real cases mm-hmm. as an example. Um, the Tina Fontaine mm-hmm. case broke my heart. I mm-hmm. actually was driving when that story first you know, came out on the radio, and I had to pull over. I was on the highway. I had to pull over to the side of the road because I started crying. It was just so sad for me. She was so close in age to my own daughter. Mm. And, uh, you know, as the uh, the trial went on in, in the subsequent months, that that phrase kept coming out. Um, there was no, there was no evidence. You yeah. know, there was, yeah. right. <laughs> there was no physical evidence of, mm. of any of this happening, which is, you know, the reason for the acquittal mm. was there was no evidence. Right. And so I thought, okay, fine, we're going to have no evidence in this one as well. And, right. uh, and again, because I, I did take a pottery class, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this is a perfect way. So I, I got a setting where Ren lives out on an acreage where she doesn't have neighbors and, you know, there's... No one's going to see what she's doing out there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sadly, that that scenario exists everywhere. And, and it, what makes me even more sad is that it exists in people's hearts. Um, there are bad people, and we have to protect ourselves. So we have to start talking about it. And, mm-hmm. and You know, you're, you're right. It's the one thing that I, that I keep thinking about. Uh, as I yeah. as I get more and more drawn into these stories, much like your your novel, as well as uh, reading Highway of Tears and among other interviews that we've had here, is is that we're focusing on the the women that are missing or, or murdered, but but there's a reason for that, and the reason is there are people doing this, and why are we not focusing on them? Why are we these there's there's murderers, there's there's people out there that are doing this stuff. Yeah, there are. And, uh, you know, if people start reporting things, mm. as an example, um, the, one of the reasons I, I, I thought about at the very beginning where, where Raven went missing and then, you know, Ren was frantic because mm-hmm. she, she didn't know where she went. The two of them had gone out to a local bar because it was wing night and yeah. Ren, you have to read the book, but Ren was, she was just so so devastated by something else that had just happened. And her right. sister said, you got to get out of the house. And right. she was visiting her mm-hmm. and she said, you got to get out. Let's just go down there and, and we'll just, you know, we'll just sit and have a nice evening. And then uh, Raven, or Ren went to the washroom. When she came back, Raven was gone. And that was the last time we ever saw her. Mm-hmm. So Ren was looking for her all night and then phoned the police and the police dismissed her saying, well, she's in her 30s, your sister, and you were in a bar. Well, maybe she just picked somebody up and went home with them. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing happens. And so she was dismissed. And it was at that point that something happened with her. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm going to take care of this myself. And that was the impetus for the rest of the novel. You know, Carol, the other thing that you do, though, is is that you flesh out these more of the, these women's lives, other things that have happened to them. 
and and we learn about other tragic uh, situations they have found themselves in through college, university, oh. and, and those kind of things that have, uh, that, you know, really, you don't think about, and, and, and you know, um, and, that, and that these women just move on. These are tragic rapes and, and things, and, and yet, you know, it, they're just a moment that we, we look at, that we see has happened to these, both these women uh, in, their, in their lives. And, and it's, uh, you know, you get more, you get so much more than you're, you're bargaining for than, than just this, this focus on the main topics and the main characters. And, uh, and I really appreciate that you did that and, and really, uh, you know, you, you, were, you were very forward and, and sort of matter-of-fact about this stuff. Yeah, that's a, the sad reality is that violence exists in a lot of lives of Indigenous women all across Turtle Island. And uh, we don't talk about it because it. a friend of mine called it normalized, mm. normalized uh, di- uh, dysfunction, mm. which I thought was a, a really good term. And yeah, so so many of us have been abused. So many of us have been sexually abused. So many of us have had our uh, someone trying to crush our souls by mm. by bullying and name calling and all sorts of other things and and all of these things go back to childhood or or young adulthood and and we leave them there. Mm. But I think we need to start saying, okay, this happened. It was in the past, and give ourselves a pat on the back and say thank you, Creator, and all my relations for helping me carry on. And then that's that's where we have to get to is say, yes, it happened, and it's not going to happen to my children, and it's not going to happen to my grandchildren, but pretending it didn't, didn't happen is uh, probably not a good thing. We, we need to say, all right, we acknowledge that pain, and then we let it go. Uh, Carol, you know, uh, we're we're almost out of time, but I did want to mention that and I wanted to ask you about feedback. What kind of feedback you've had on the book? Well, so far, everything that I've heard is positive, that they really, readers like the fact that Ren decides she is not going to be a victim, mm. as in a victim of the system, a victim of waiting for somebody else to find solutions. She takes matters into her own hands. So they like mm-hmm. the the strong Indigenous woman mm character that Ren is um, and they just it was almost disbelief that oh my god I can't believe this this kind quiet well-adjusted professional <laughs> artist in in Ren mm. would do these things and uh, it, so they yeah readers have responded very well to to what I wrote well, it's interesting what you just said there because I think you do a, a very good job of bringing us into her thinking as to why she makes these choices and 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 the reasons and uh, and justification for it. I think you do a re- really good job of 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 that in terms of uh, of why uh, and the frustration that I'm sure um, you know not only missing and murdered Indigenous women uh, families and and uh, and other women are, are feeling, but the families, the, the, you know, everyone that is affected by this. 
So, uh, you know, congratulations on that. I, I could very much see this very easily be translated into a film. And I don't know if you've uh, had any uh, interest in that, but I could certainly see how this would be work on, on the screen for sure. Yeah, I've had that comment as well. Um, no one's asked me anything about that yet, but it's, it's early. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, it would be it would be uh it would be an interesting film for sure and it it moves and I, I have to I have to credit also writing for journalism for the way mm. I move a story forward mm-hmm. because that was drummed into us as journalists to you only have 2 minutes here right. or yep. a minute 30 and you yeah. must move the story forward and so those skills translated into into novel writing which I'm I'm really grateful about mm-hmm. Right. Well, Carol, uh, thank you, uh, Chimigwech Nyawa, for, for uh, allowing me to read this book and to uh, and also just to reconnect with you. It's so, so great to, to speak with you after so long. Yeah, it, I know. <laughs> and I'm so happy you called. I'm so happy you called. Thank you. In the meantime, oh, well, in the meantime, uh, you know, if you're if around this area or if I'm out that way, let's have that coffee we're talking about. Okay. All right. Thanks once again. Take care. And that that is Carol Rose Golden Eagle. She is the author of Bone Black, and that is a novel. She is up for a couple of awards uh, in the near future, and uh, it's been a pleasure to have her on the show. If you're interested, I'm sure you can find this book at your local bookstore. Bone Black is what it's called by Carol Rose Golden Eagle. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Moment of Truth. I also want to say Nyawa, Miigwech, Wanishi, and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa, Miigwech, and thanks for listening.